good evening, everybody. Welcome to New Hope Church. Uh, before we get before we get with the um, the tithes and offerings, real quick, I know many of you have uh, smartphones or maybe you have your iPads or or a smart device, and you might be like, "Wait, what's the Wi-Fi password?" And so I just been informed to share this with everybody. Uh, if you go on to our Wi-Fi, there's actually a new password. So it is. You can get your smartphones out or your smart devices out. Because trust me, you're going to want to lock this in. It is NHC, NHC, all, ca- all uh, lowercase letters, at 840, which is our address here on Kupalau Road, and then exclamation mark, because you're excited to be here, right? So that's our password, NHC at 840 exclamation point. Okay, so that way you can get onto our app, you can take notes, and you don't have to ask anybody else now. You got it. Yee-hee. Well, this time we're going to get ready to receive our tithes and offerings, so ushers, if you could please prepare for that. You know what's so cool is that the other night, I was at the sink, and I was washing dishes, and my oldest daughter, uh, Caitlin, who's five years old, she came up to me, she's like, hey, Dad, can I help you wash dishes? And at first I'm thinking, No. Because you're going to make mess. You're five years old. You're going to splash the water all over the place. And so I kind of told her, no, it's okay. Daddy got it. And she was like, but, but Dad, I, I want to help. I want to help you wash dishes. And so I told her, you know what, baby? Okay, I tell you what. I'll, I'll wash the dishes. You can rinse them. And so she grabs the stool. She stands, she stands by me, and she's washing the dishes. And the, and the most greatest part about it was she had such a big smile. She enjoyed the fact that she was helping dad do the dishes. And I thought to myself, come 10 years from now, you're not going to be this happy. <laughs> you're going to be like, oh, I don't want to do the dishes. But right now, at this moment, you're so happy because you're getting to be a part of what dad's doing. And you know what's interesting is when we give our tithes and offerings, we're doing the exact same thing. We're getting to be a part of what our dad, our father in heaven is doing as he goes and reaches people that are far from him. And what a joy it is that you and I get to be a part of that. Now, if you're visiting us for the very first time, we ask that you don't feel obligated to give. In fact, just receive tonight. Maybe you're visiting us from another church and we just want to encourage you to continue to give wherever you regularly attend service. But if New Hope Church is where you regularly attend, you call this your home would you know that it's a joy, it's an honor, and it's so much fun being a part of what God is doing as we give him our tithes and offerings and so much more because he always gives us so much more back. Amen? Would you join me as we pray for our tithes and offerings? Lord, we just come before you right now, Lord. And Lord, Lord, we want to just, just thank you so much, Lord. Lord, you say in your word that you enjoy a cheerful giver, and that's what we want to be right now. That just like Caitlin, as she was filled with joy helping me wash dishes, Lord, we want to be filled with that joy as we give you our tithes and offerings. Because, Lord, we get to be a part of what you're doing. You're washing your people. You're cleaning their souls. And you're bringing them back to you. And, Lord, what a joy and honor it is to be a part of that plan. Lord, we love you so much and we thank you for all the blessings that you give us. And for the fact that you allow us to also go and bless others by being a part of what you're doing. And so, Lord, I pray that you bless the hearts of those who give and let them know that what they do has eternal rewards because everything you do is for a soul. 
And so, Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we continue to look forward to what you're going to do in the lives of your people. We pray for all these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you, Pastor Ben. Quick question, though. On our, when you open up Wi-Fi, there's like NHHH, oh, yeah. New Hope Hilo. So I think it's any of the NHHH. NHHH. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I Just hope so. checking. So it's on the NHHH <laughs> Wi-Fi part. Yes. This is so biblical, isn't it? Yeah. It's uh-huh. like we need to get on Wi-Fi because we're going to open up the Bible. <laughs> I just bring my Bible. So, um, But you can open up your Bibles. We're going to be in the book of Numbers. And we're in this series called Values. And we all have values. Everyone lives by some type of value. Your value might be different than someone else's. And that's a learning process uh, as we grow up. But every single person has values. You see it in the, on the school playground, you'll see it in the classroom, you'll see it uh, at parties, you'll see it at uh, household gatherings or family gatherings. You're going to see different values being lived out no matter where you go. The question is not how many values are out there or who, who has what value, but the question is as a believer, as, a, as someone who says, I want to follow God, I want to have this relationship with God, what values do you have and what values should you have? And at the same time, what values do we need to learn? And that's what this series has been about. It's, it's learning these values that God has because when he brings in values to our life, then things change. And whenever he changes our values, then he sets us up for something greater. And whenever we give up our, our values, as it were, that are not according to the ways of God or the things we used to think were valuable, then God replaces it with a greater value. For instance, if I valued uh, going out and partying and I thought that was a value because I'm with my friends, yet I would get drunk and I would put myself in situations that weren't good, but I valued being being around my friends, when I came to know the Lord, he says, I have a better value for you, and it's not about doing those things, it's about developing a disciplined lifestyle with me. So he replaces it with a better lifestyle, so much so that when I go back to parties now, and I see all of my friends, you know, doing the same thing they did 30 years ago. 30 years ago. I'm only 45. So, yeah, 15 years old. It's kind of the same. Uh, it's like they've been the same, and they're still dealing with the same things over and over for 30 years. Same thing. And I thought, Lord, you have given us an option of values. But the question is not that we, if we have options or not. The question is what What options am I going to take? Am I going to keep with the values that I thought were great for me? Or am I going to say, Lord, what values do you have so that I can gravitate towards that and receive that from you to live the life that you see for me? That there is a promised life for me. We all have a a promised life from God. That, in fact, Jeremiah 29, 11 tells us that, that I know the plans that I have for you. They're for good, not for evil, to give you a future and a Hope, yeah, it's better than what it was today. That's what he's saying. I have a promise for you, and it's a, it's a great, futuristic, hopeful future. That's where he wants to bring us. But we're on this side of it thinking, but I'm going through these things. I fail some tests that come my way. I fall into temptation, or I stay with my old ways. How do I receive that promised life that you say I'm supposed to have? Because it's not that easy. Wouldn't it be great that if God said, okay, here's the promised life for you, and here it is, poof, then automatically you're there. It, I mean, it would seem like that would be the better way for God to do that. But the problem with that is in order for us to have a sustainable life of this promise by God, 
Something has to be a foundation in order for us to live that way. It's almost like those who win lotteries and it ruins their life. They win millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars sometimes with lotteries, and they get this money, but they don't have the foundation, the character, as well as the support system around them to sustain them with all of that money. And so it is with God. He says, before I can bless you with all of this, with the promised life, I have to build this foundation so that you can handle it. Because with my life for you, it's a blessing that you're going to need me for. Because it's just that great. And so we're going to take a look at a, a story and an, an event that took place. And it's found in the book of Numbers chapter 13. So you can turn there. And we're going to be talking about the value of momentum. Have you ever fell into a place or came into a, a, a season of life where everything is just clicking? Everything is going well. Job is doing well. Uh, or you got a raise or, or money situation is good relationship is good, children listening, everything is clicking, everything's functioning, things are going well. And it feels great because it's like you have no worries. You don't have to worry about anything. And then all of a sudden something comes in and it ruins everything. I, I remember saying that with my mom when I was growing up. As a young kid, I used to say this a lot. Mom, you just want to ruin my life. And it's a simple thing as her saying, can you pick up your clothes? Can you fold the blanket? Can you can you uh, clean up your room? It's like, Mom, I'll go play outside with my friends. I said, well, you got to clean your room. Well, you're ruining my life. It's like, no, you're just cleaning the room. But to me, that was everything. And for some of us, we may be in a season of life where something happens and we think, life is done. I'm, I can't handle this anymore. Or how can I do this, Lord, with all the promises you say, but yet I'm right here in the moment or at work, or someone says something, or, or something just falls into our lap, and we don't know how to handle it. It's like God is saying, no, no, I, I know what I'm doing, because I'm trying, to, I'm trying to not just continue this relationship with you, but I'm also teaching you some things along the way that has to do with values, and I want you to catch these certain values, and the value of momentum helps us to see that life, yes, will go up and down, Things will come into our life, but when you have momentum, you're able to sustain and have a, a, a life that doesn't get rattled so quickly because you have momentum going in your life. It's like when everything is in your favor, nothing can stop you. And what God is saying is when you have momentum in your life, even though things come into your life, when you have momentum, it doesn't rattle you as it normally would if you had no momentum. A train traveling at 55 miles an hour can breeze through a five-foot-thick block of cement. It'll just plow right through it. You take that same train at a dead stop, and you put a one-inch block of wood, and with all the power the train has, you start that thing up, it moves not one inch. Same train, same potential power, but what's the difference? Momentum. What God says is, here are some things that are in your life. It's just a one-inch block of wood that's tripping you up. It's a small little thing, but it's big to you because you have no momentum. And something as small as whatever it is is tripping you up. You lose your keys, you blame everybody. You cannot find your slipper, you beat up the dog. It's like everything... Everything is just, just a little by little. These small little things trip you up because there's no momentum. And so you're, you're kind of meandering through life, kind of just 
almost lackadaisically going through life, and, and it's like God saying, oh, I want to build some momentum for you. And the, and the event that we're going to look at is such a powerful thing that happened in the Bible that God wants to show us and, and help us when it comes to momentum. When Heidi and I uh, first met, I was 12 and she was 13, and we, as we were growing up, we got married when I was 19 and she was 20, so we were together for seven years. And first year of marriage, easy. It's a, it's a new, it's the rookie stage, right? It's the honeymoon stage. It's when things go bad. It's like, oh, honey, that's okay. No problem. I still love you. No worry. We're good. Second year comes up. It's like a little bit edgier. Uh, things that never bothered you now bothers you. And then, it's, and then the third year comes around and it's like, what, why, what, why? You have that, you know, relationship where it's, it's a little bit more intense. And then it comes the fourth year and fifth year. And then you're questioning yourself. It's, I wasn't questioning myself, Heidi. That's I mean, illustrative purposes. That you're questioning, you, you're, you are, we're questioning, like, <laughs> was this the right decision? Whew, sweating now. But like, was this the right decision? Was I supposed to get married? Like, you go through those questions. And then you start to doubt yourself. And then you pray to God and you say, God, if this was the person for me, then let the next car pass me by be red. <laughs> like you, you actually pray those prayers and you think in that kind of way because you're wondering, was this the right decision? And then come the fifth year, sixth year, for Heidi and I, year seven was a tough year. In year seven, it was almost, to me, it was like a year of darkness. Could be because she had the pillow over my face. She's like, you know, listen to me. But it was also because we were at a place that we were learning about what this relationship looks like with God and our marriage. We had to figure that out because we were no longer going together. It wasn't, you like go at me, yeah, well, I like go at you. Like, where are we going? <laughs> where, where are we going? That was, our, you know, that's, that, that was our boyfriend and girlfriend connection. But when you get married, what you're saying is, God... I'm making this vow with you and with my spouse. So to Heidi and I, this was much more serious than a yes, no, you like go at me, check the box. It was a, it was a covenant between us and God. So come year seven, it, it seems like what is happening? Why is it so difficult? What is going on? And so as we continue to pray and attend church and read our Bible and things like that, what we found was there was a certain momentum that we were riding on when we got married. Because it was exciting, it was a new thing. It's like, we're gonna, we've been dating for seven years and oh, we're going to get married. Look at all our friends, they're giving us gifts, everyone's cheering us on. So we had that momentum of getting married. And then when we got married, we coasted on that momentum. And then come year seven, it's like, well, why are we here? What happened here? Well, basically what happened is we stopped doing the things that got us to the place to get married at this point. We stopped dating. We stopped writing the love notes to each other. We, we stopped the things that we used to do that made us fall deeply in love with each other. When we learned that, then we started to once again implement the things that we used to do. That's why we call it date nights. You still date your spouse because those are the things you used to do that got you to the place of being in love with each other from the very beginning. I was, when I first learned how to paddleboard, if any of you paddleboard, uh, you, you might be able to understand this. If not, you'll still catch this. With paddleboarding, I'm a, I'm a, 
I can be a little competitive, but when it comes to myself, it's even worse. So my brother, he tells me, okay, let's go paddleboard. Um, and he, he gave me, he let me use one of his boards. So we put it in the water, and we're outside, uh, outside of Bayfront, and the water's a little choppy, closer to Coconut Island. I forget where we were, but it's, it's kind of a little choppy. So I get on the board, and I stand up with the paddle, and I fall down. I stand up again, and I fall down. I stand up and fall down. Finally, I stand up, and I, I got my stance, but I'm, I'm a little wobbly. Then I try to put my paddle in the water, and I'm trying to paddle. I fall down again. I do this over and over, and my brother throws his board in the water, jumps in the water, hops on the board, jumps up on the board, and just starts paddling. I was like, you junk, you. You didn't tell me what you did. He said, the reason why you're falling is because you're not moving first. I said, the whole point of me trying to paddle is to move. I cannot move if I cannot stand up. So how can I move if I can't even stand up to paddle? He said, go on your knees first. I'm like, I ain't going on my knees. You know how much guys watching? Look at all the guys fishing. Oh, look at all them. And they're watching me. Like, just watch me. Fall down, fall down. So I said, I'm not going to go on my knees. He said, no. When you go on your knees first, then you paddle, you gain momentum first. Then you stand up. And I said, oh, okay. Did that, got on my knees, started to paddle, and then popped up. I still fell. And then I tried again and again. Once I got the momentum, it was so much easier. And as I'm going, and I'm, then now I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm like, oh, this is easy. I can do this. As I'm paddling, I, I come around to where he is, and I start talking with him, and I forget to paddle. I'm just talking stories like, yeah, this is so good. And, and you know, sometimes we got to talk with our hands. And so I'm paddling, and I'm not paying attention to my speed. And then I feel myself wobbling, and then I fall in again. When I look at this, just the basics of paddleboarding, that's what life looks like. For many of us, we're trying to get on our feet, but there's no momentum. And the waves and wind of life are crashing against us, other people opposing us family falling apart and we have all of this coming at us and we we're just trying to stand on our feet so we can gain some momentum and the moment we try to stand up it's like we get knocked back down well there's something that the lord is going to teach us tonight and it's found in the book of numbers that will help us to gain this thing called momentum to learn the value of momentum some of you know this story and it's a story of the israelites entering into the promised land and before they do they send in 12 spies to see what this land looks like. So Numbers chapter 13, verses, I'll read from uh, the chapter 13 until chapter 14, verse 9. So Numbers 13, the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan. So now this is after they came out of slavery. The Israelites were in slavery in Egypt. They came out of slavery. And now they're... They're crossing the, they, they crossed the Red Sea, and now they're on the other side of the Red Sea, going into the promised land, and they've, of course, wandered in the desert for 40 years. But the Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So the Lord commanded Moses, Sent, uh, so, the Lord's, so at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites, and these are their names. From the tribe of Reuben, 
Shemua, son of Zakur. From the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, son of Horai. From the tribe of Judah, Caleb, son of Jephunneh. From the tribe of Issachar, Igal, son of Joseph. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, son of Nun. And, oh, yeah. and verse 9, from the tribe of Benjamin, Paltai, son of Raphu. From the tribe of Zebulun, Gideel, son of Zodai, Sodai. From the tribe of Manasseh, a tribe of Joseph, Gadai, son of Susai. From the tribe of Dan, Amiel, son of Gamali. From the tribe of Asher, Sether, son of Michael. From the tribe of Naphtali, Nabi, son of Vopsi. From the tribe of Gad, Guel, son of Machai. These are the names of the men Moses sent to explore the land. Moses gave Hoshea, son of Nun, the, the name Joshua. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they walled or unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rahab toward Lebo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron where Ahiman, Sheshai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had built Seven had been built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them along some pomegranates and figs. So that's a lot of grapes. And they were some large grapes, so they had to carry it on a pole. That place was called the valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. And here is their report. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live there in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with them said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. Chapter 14, that night all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt, they forgot they were slaves in Egypt, or in this wilderness, 
Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in, the, in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothing and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and, expo- and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, He will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. So here you have 40 spies going into the land. They come back with some report. You have 10 of them give a bad report or saying, we cannot do this. Then you have Joshua and Caleb saying, hold on, what do you mean we can't do this? Of course we can do this. If the Lord is pleased with us, we are able to do this. It's almost like Joshua and Caleb were saying, hold on, wait a minute. Are you telling me that all of us, we were in the same land, exploring this land. We're in the same place. We serve the same God. But how can we come back both with the wrong or different reports? What is the difference? How can you give a different report than us? Did you not see the same things we see? Oh, yeah, we did. We saw the grapes. The grapes, a lot of grapes. We brought the grapes back. Yeah, that's, that's good. Did you see the soil? Yeah, soil was good. It's great. It was good. Yeah, did you see all the people surrounding? Yeah, we saw all the people surrounding. They looked like giants. Yeah, we saw them too. But do you, do you know our God? Do you, we just came through the Red Sea. Who parts the Red Sea? Did you see any of them part the Red Sea? Oh, no, we don't see nobody part the Red Sea. Well, our God parted the Red Sea. So how are you going to argue against that? Well, they, well, you know why? Because, well... They're so giant, and we look like grasshoppers, so in their eyes, we look like grasshoppers too because that's how we see ourselves. And it's like Joshua and Caleb saying, you got to be kidding me. And now the people rebel, and they start complaining, and Joshua and Caleb, are, they're tearing their clothes. That's, that's, how, that's how agonizing it is and frustrating it was for Joshua and Caleb. It's like, what are you talking about? So if you see someone like, why are you crazy? They're frustrated. We do that too. We throw things around. We break things. We punch walls. Joshua and Caleb just tore their shirt. Hokomania. So they were so frustrated because they couldn't understand how anyone else could see that God could not do this. They just couldn't. Their brains couldn't fathom how someone could actually say, we can't. And they were stuck. They were saying, how is this even possible? And because of their good report, they were the only ones who entered into the promised land. They wandered in the desert for 40 years. And only Joshua and Caleb entered the promised land eventually. Moses didn't even enter the promised land. See, God has a promised life for us. We determine if we get there. The value of momentum is so incredibly important because not only does it affect you, but it also affects your descendants. The value of momentum tells us that when we, when we understand God's favor, His favor gives us the bigger picture 
of where we are today only seen a corner of the picture. When we see just a corner of the picture and we live by that, that's not living with the value of momentum. The value of momentum says, God, where are you taking me as a father, as a husband, as, as a believer, as a person in business, as a person who, who oversees a company or whatever it could be, a teacher, a, a student, getting your degree, whatever it is. Lord, where are you taking me? Missionary, doing kingdom work, whatever it is. God, what are you asking of me and what, what does that vision look like? What is the promised land for me? And God would say, this is what I see. This is the report. But if we're focused on this small little corner, we're going to say, you know what, it's impossible. Why? Because I don't see anything happening here. My life is not where I want it to be. Oh, I made some decisions, some mistakes, and so, I, you know, it's because of so-and-so. I can't get ahead. It's because of this. I can't get ahead. And we're looking at a small little piece of the corner of the picture that God sees, and momentum sees the bigger picture. Momentum sees that what is possible, not what is happening right now. Momentum puts your attitude at a higher level. That's what Joshua and Caleb was dealing with. So much so that their, their attitude was such at a high level that when they got frustrated, they had to show their mourning, how disappointed they were and how it affected them emotionally that they were tearing their clothes. See, when you have momentum, nothing stops you, not even a five-foot-thick cement block of a problem. But when you have no momentum, a tiny little thing stops you. It stops you in your life, in your dreams, in your relationships, and in your marriage. Because we don't have that momentum. See, when, when you don't have momentum, everything becomes the opposite. When you don't have momentum, what, what you probably can do, you're going to say, I can't. When you don't have momentum, when you say, when you normally would say, oh, it is possible, you say, oh, that's, in, that's impossible. When you don't have momentum, you, you develop more excuses than reasons to persevere forward. See, when you have momentum and it's in your life and you're going through like changes, you just have that momentum of changing. You're doing better. Maybe you're, you're quitting a habit or some type of addiction. Maybe you change, change your eating habit for, the, for health or for, for the better life ahead. Or, or maybe you started to save money and you're developing that momentum. Your work ethic has gotten better, so you have that momentum. You've been serving or tithing. Your momentum is there. Maybe you started to do your devotions and journaling or praying and you have momentum. Whatever, whatever it looks like for your life, you, you've developed that momentum. And then when you have that momentum, because it's there, maybe we started to say, I'm okay right now, and we start riding on that momentum. But then after a while, we slow down without even knowing it because it's subtle, and then we start to rock back and forth. The wind and the waves come, and then we eventually fall off. See, there are key things that must be done in order for us to keep the momentum going. So we're going to look at three key principles regarding the value of momentum and then how to sustain it. And if you are taking notes or in your app, the first thing we got to understand is that when you change for the better, you change forever. That's the mindset, is when you change for the better, you change forever. That's what God wants us to understand, that he's doing a mighty work in us, not so that we change for the moment. That's behavior modification. But when he says, I'm going to make you into a new creation, old things have passed away, behold, all things are new. That's what it means to be a new person in Jesus Christ. He's saying there's a change that is happening. It's a transformation. It's going to be forever. But we have to agree with it as well as obey God in that change. Otherwise, we just wait. That Once that momentum of salvation slows down, 
and then we get rocky, we eventually fall off. But we got to keep that mindset of, wait a minute, God, you changed me for the better, so I'm going to change forever. The value of momentum says, I'm in it for the long haul. Not just for this week, not just for the next day, because when momentum is in full swing, we don't coast, settle, or fall into relaxation mode. We, we, we get sharper, we tighten things up, we change for the better, not for the next day or two, not for the next month, it's forever. That's the mentality we have to have because we're in it for the long haul. I can't tell you how many pastors will call me up, young leaders will call me up or email and say, this is what I, I sense God saying in my life, I want to do this. I want to go into ministry. I want to become full-time pastor. And, and they have all these great dreams, which is powerful. I pray with them and I talk with them. And I'm like, oh, this is so good. We need people to continue to advance the kingdom of God. I applaud you. Let's do this. Then we'll stay in contact for a little while. A year or two will go by. Maybe they'll move somewhere or, or maybe they're off island or in another state. And then I'll connect back with them and I'll say, hey, so how's ministry going? They say, oh, it didn't work out. I said, what do you mean it didn't work out? Yeah, you know, family issues and problems and I'm like, wait, I thought in the beginning this was God's calling for your life. Yeah, but it just didn't work out. And as I pick their brain, and, and what I'm not doing is trying to find fault. What I'm trying to do is find out what can I learn from that? Because they were so excited that God gave them a vision, anointed their life for that vision, and then what happened later on? And more often than not, what I find out, the common denominator is they forget to do the things they used to because something didn't happen for them. They didn't get the position. They didn't get the paycheck. They didn't get that, that uh, applaud. They didn't get licensed. Whatever it was, something happened along the way that threw them like in the opposite direction. I said, why did you stop? Oh, because I didn't, I didn't get the position or I didn't get this. I said, what does that have to do with your calling? If you're called to enter the promised land, it doesn't matter how you get there position, non-position, license, on staff, doesn't matter. What matters is, are you following the obedience of, are you obeying God along the way, and are you following His Spirit along the way? Because before you enter into the promised land, you're going to have to pass the premises of the promises. And when the tests of the premises come in, if you fail that, it's like God saying, how can I give you a car if you don't even pass your driver's permit? How can I bless you here with a brand new truck if you have a difficult time understanding the book that goes with your driver's license? It's like God knows what he's doing, but when I don't understand this, the value of momentum, I bail out when it gets difficult. And I forget that God has made me into a brand new person. It's not just for the next week, the next month. It's forever. Instead of me focusing on the promised land, I should be focusing on the promiser. Whenever I get there, it's up to him. Because we never arrive anyway. We, we, we will always walk with the, 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 the most sure thing that is in our life is that we will be with God forever. We, we're going to be with him forever. So, that should be our focus. Is God not a position, not, not, not the promised land? 
It's God because he's the one that's going to bring in the promised life and his timing when he sees fit. Galatians 2.20 tells us that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words, it's not us who live, it's Christ in us and through us. And it almost seems unfair because if, if momentum keeps shifting, then how do we keep up with it? That's what happened with the Israelites. They kept shifting in momentum. They were slaves. Well, before they were slaves, Joseph, who became second in command, he was the one that saved not just the Egyptians and the uh, close, closely known world at that time from starvation in that famine time, but he also collected all the grain so that they could survive. But then when the Israelites came in, or the Hebrews they started to multiply in the land and they became great. And then when the next Pharaoh came in, the next king of Egypt came in, he didn't know about Joseph. So he was threatened by all of these Hebrews multiplying and he says, hey, make them into slaves. So from being saved in a famine, uh, in a famine land, they're now thriving in Egypt and then a king comes in and says, put them into slavery. And then they're in slavery so their momentum keeps shifting and then Pharaoh releases them. And then they're now free. Yes, we're going to go and we're going to become our own nation. And then Pharaoh chases them. So their momentum keeps swinging back and forth. And then they're running from Pharaoh and then they come to the Red Sea. And now their momentum shifts not in their favor as it seems. And now they're crying out to Moses. Moses calls out to God and God says, stretch out your staff. And God parts the Red Sea. Oh, momentum. They go across. You see, their momentum keeps shifting back and forth. And the reason why their attitude kept shifting is because they connected their attitude with circumstance rather than connecting their attitude and heart with God. God is the only stable thing in our life. It'll only be God. Nothing else is stable. It will only be God. And all through that time, their momentum kept shifting. But when, they, when Joshua and Caleb had the understanding and the value of momentum, when they saw that they could, they never looked back because they changed for the better forever. So much so that later on in Caleb's life, he's like, you know what? And he was 80 years old. He said, I am just as strong as I was in my earlier 40s. I'm just as strong. He never lost that momentum. He still had it. The second thing, not just changing for the better or changing forever, it's how you see yourself. How you see yourself is how you think others see you. How you see yourself is how you think other people see you. In other words, if you value who God is making you to be and he's your value system, it doesn't matter what anyone else says. However, if you don't value your own life and you put yourself down and when you look in the mirror, you're disappointed at yourself, then you're going to think you're a disappointment with everyone else. And people can encourage you, they can build you up, they can cheer you on, but you say, no, it's, no. They can even say, no, you're a great mom. No, but look at what I did. The way you see yourself is the way you think other people are going to see you. So in order for us to have that momentum, the value of momentum, let's not look at how we see ourselves. Let's look at how God sees us. Otherwise, if we develop the eyes unto ourselves, what determines our value? The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 11, verse 34, that your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, 
your body also is full of darkness. And that's what happened with Caleb and Joshua. Their, their eyes were healthy. They said, do you not see? We see these things. We see the possibilities. We see what can happen. But for the rest of them, they said, no, we see the same things. They're giants. But we, we, we were like grasshoppers in our own eyes. That's what the scripture says. We're like grasshoppers in our own eyes. In other words, this is how we see ourselves as grasshoppers. So we were in their eyes. In other words, this is how we see ourselves. Therefore, that's what we must be. So how can we defeat them? Joshua and Caleb is saying, no, you forget who we're serving. We're following God. So don't look at it from your perspective and from your eyes because your eye is the lamp to your body. Whatever you think you are, that's what you're going to live by. But if you say, God, you are my value system, what do you say? Then I'm going to live by that. that then that value of momentum is going to be in me. With no value of momentum, there is no victory. There is only defeat. See, when momentum starts, and that it starts to be, it, be, it begins, at the same time momentum starts, so does the tendency to settle. At the same time, it starts at the same time, you begin to settle. And you're going to coast, and you're going to feel like, no sense. I work, I work so hard, and I'm not getting ahead. But you've been obeying God. Lord, I've been praying to you. Nothing's happening. I've been in your word. Nothing's happening. I do go to church. Nothing's happening. Don't go to church for something to happen. Stay close to God. And then you will be the happen. It's, it's your life with God, not your circumstances. And so when he says that there's a, there's a way to look at your life, but you got to see it through my eyes. And when that happens, you're going to see that when things are going well, you're also going to have the thoughts of discontinuing the things that you used to do that got you there. Don't listen to that voice because before momentum catches fire, something has to ignite it. And if you have that thought with, I'm going to ignite this momentum, you're also going to have a tendency to snuff it out. Don't listen to that voice. Don't listen to the, the, the negative that will come your way because the way you see yourself is how you think others are going to see you. But the way you look to God and let him value you, then your value starts to increase, not because of who you are or what you do. It's because of who he is and who he says you're to be. And when you have that same spirit as Caleb and Joshua, that momentum that comes into your life is unstoppable. You, like no one can stop you. Even the people around you who are negative, it just can't stop you. You don't even have to grumble back to people. You don't even have to explain yourself because you have momentum with God. And not in the context of saying, no, I don't care what anybody thinks, so, you know, they're telling me I should stop this and this. No, no, no I don't care because my value is in God. There is, there is a way to live with this value system with God as well as have people that love you help you. And when you have people who love you and help you, they help you with momentum. And it's okay. Find people who will speak into your life because you, you and I will have a tendency to settle. And you need people around you to say, keep it going. I'm praying for you, cheering you on. Because we'll have a tendency to look at our own selves and put ourselves down. And the final thing is that you will have more excuses all the time. You will have more excuses for why you can't than you will 
for why you can. You will always have more excuses for why you can't than you will for why you can. Always. You will always have more excuses why you can't than for why you can. It's, it's, a, it's a basic principle, even with the spies, the 12 tribal leaders, they all went out. Two out of the 10, uh, two said they're not able, uh, two said we're able to, the 10 said we're not able to. Two out of 12 said can do. You have more reasons why you can't. It's a 10 to 2 ratio. More reasons why you can't than why you can. And instead of looking at that, why you can't, go back to God and say, God, how can? How can I? How can we, in the values that you have given to me, turn this thing around, get better in our relationship, develop a lifestyle that pleases you? How can I, Lord? How can my family get better? My finances get better? My attitude get better? How can I be better at work? How can I come into the workplace and light up the place with your glory versus coming in expecting misery? And, I, and, and, and there's a spirit sometimes there that you're so fired up, you could have just read the Bible, prayed to God, and you walk into your workplace like everybody. And then you just kind of blend in with everyone. Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. And now you just go up on your day when you were just so fired up. So when you walk into the place, bring in the glory of God. Now you don't have to walk in, hallelujah, everybody. You don't have to do that. But you're walking in with the presence of God and you're coming in with just his power and his strength. And you're coming in letting people know that your life is different than anyone else's, not because you're trying something, but because you're an I can person. And when everyone says, you can't. Just kind of flick off the apostrophe and the T and just say, I can. Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We can. Philippians 4.8 tells us, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, what do we do? Dwell on these things. In other words, live by that. All of those good things, let that live in your mind. Let it dwell in your mind. And when things are going well and life is clicking, it has very little to do with talent, giftedness, skill. It's about momentum. The momentum that God brings into our life. It's His Spirit. And whenever God brings in His Spirit and there's momentum, you will be just like Christ who is able to persevere through the most difficult times. For you and I have crucified our, our passions and desires on the cross. And it is no longer us who live, but Christ in us. When you have momentum and you learn the value of momentum, you become an unstoppable force for the kingdom of God and your life changes for the better and it changes forever. Amen. Let's be that kind of people. Let's, let's uh, close our Bibles, put our notes, and, and we'll close in prayer. I'm so glad we get to learn this together. I, I, get, um, I get fired up when we talk about the Lord, first of all, but I think we've all seen our lives and other people's lives too change because of Christ. 
I mean, just look around this room. There's, there's a bunch of us who we wouldn't be where we're at today. We'd be, we'd be worse off if not for the Lord. Thanks be to God that Jesus was the momentum mentor that teaches us what it means to persevere. He knew he was going to die on the cross, and he still persevered. He never quit on us. Jesus was the greatest at I can. In fact, so much so that he said, I will. And he did. And he still does. Let's develop that kind of heart, that kind of spirit. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Lord, you modeled so well for us what it means to have an I can spirit. It's, a, it's an I will. It's, it's thinking with, it's, it's actually a, a prophetic way of thinking. You, you were prophetically saying, Lord, if you're saying for us to become this in you, then we will. You said it in the Garden of Gethsemane. You said, not my will, but your will be done. For Joshua and Caleb, Lord, these two guys are such a role model for everyday people that we go through our ups and downs. We have good reports and bad reports. But we're going to look to you, and, and what you say is what we're going to see. And so change our hearts. And when you change us, Lord, change us for the better, but also that we would be reminded that we're, we're changed forever, that we're going to see ourselves as how you see us, that we're not going to look to our excuses and use that as a template for our life. We're going to look to you because you're the one who says we can. Develop within us, Lord, an I can spirit that as we grow older, the momentum in our life will, will make us look better than we actually are and will help us to persevere through the most darkest times of life because you are our victory. Our momentum really is, is not about life. It's about you. You're the encourager and you're the one who sustains us. So thank you for being our momentum. As we leave here tonight, Lord, may we never forget the value of momentum. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. We all said together, amen, amen. Isn't he so good to us? Yes, he is. He's a good father. He's a good Lord. He's a great savior.